Greetings and welcome to The Dividing Line. It is a Tuesday, I think, and uh, we already did one program this week, and we'll do at least one more. We might might sneak in, too. It all depends on... It's just going to be so hot in Phoenix this week. I posted uh, the, the uh, forecast on Twitter this morning, and uh, basically, as far out as the forecast goes, there's one day under 110 and there's at least two or three days at 116 for, for highs. And so it's, it's that time uh, where you just sort of hope the lights don't go out <laughs> and uh, just hide inside. People go, how do you survive it? You don't go outside. That's, that's, that's all there is to it. I do plan Friday, uh, the last day of July. I've got a little uh, – Strava has these challenge things that you do. And – I need to get to a certain distance, 1,250 kilometers for the month. Um, and so I am going to ride outside on Friday, which means I'll have two bottles, and one will be frozen, and it'll still be thawed uh, r- fairly quickly. And these are even insulated bottles, the best insulated bottles, um, plus a camelback, if you know what a camelback is. And I'm only doing 50 miles. Uh, some of you go, only? Well, I did 70-something um, last weekend, but it wasn't, wasn't 116 degrees for the high that day either. So, um, so yeah, it's, it's the desert. Welcome to, welcome to the desert. And uh, like I said, the older I get, the less it bothers me. Really, it really just doesn't. I, I don't know why, but the cold... That just seems to make everything ache, um, and the warmth. It's just like, yeah, well, you know, you've, I've lived here since 1974, so it's just sort of like if you ain't used to it now, <laughs> you should have should have moved a long time ago. Uh, that that that's for sure. So much to get to today. Um, so many things going on. I guess I'll go ahead and and sort of look at the. The sort of feel-good story uh, to, to start off with. Um, last night, uh, everything started blowing up on Twitter. I started seeing something about Todd White. Now, I, I'll, I'll, I'll confess, I know almost nothing about Todd White. I've, And almost everything I know about Todd White has been negative in the sense of did you hear what he claimed about this? And he's associated with this group, and he's lengthening legs and and doing stuff like this. And so, um, not met him. I knew that Michael Brown had met with him at one point, and so he had gotten attacked for meeting with with Todd White and all the rest of stuff. So even though we have the same last name. I really didn't know much anything about him. And so all of a sudden I'm seeing all these people in my sphere of people um, saying, can you believe this? What is going on? Let's hope this is, this is real and all this. So I'm like, so, and it is interesting that we live in a day where this type of thing can, can happen. Uh, I mean, if someone had a major theological shift Fifty years ago, people would not know about it. Twelve hours later, um, and it wouldn't spread across the entire globe uh, as this has. But uh, this is a video, and I, I would encourage you to listen to the whole thing. It was only forty-five minutes; it wasn't all that long. I listened to it, 
And it was pretty amazing uh, to listen to what Todd White was saying. Now, now, Todd says, this is new. The Lord has been working with me, and I'm learning things that I've never, ever understood before. Okay. All right. All right. So here's just, here's just a section uh, from, uh, from last night. Well, it wasn't last night, but... Even Jesus. Are you with me? The Bible also says that everyone has the, the law written in their hearts. It's already there. So if I ask a good person if lying is wrong, they will tell me yes. If I ask a bad person if lying is wrong, they will tell me yes. So lying, thieving, adultery is cheating on your wife. But adultery, Jesus says, is committing it with your eyes and your heart. So like that makes the best of people lying, adulterous thieves. That's crazy. And that doesn't sound like, wait a minute, you're condemning. No, I'm not. You're already condemned. All people are condemned, it says, by the law. It says in, 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 the, in the Psalms, in Proverbs, it says the law converts the soul. The soul is converted from the law. That doesn't mean that we preach it as legalists. That just means that if people don't know that they're sinners, they won't see their need for a Savior. This is hard for people, huh? It's hard for me. It's hard for me. Because I feel like I haven't preached the whole gospel. And I repent. I repent. You have no idea. I will not be responsible. I believe that when I preach that the blood of people is on my hands. I believe that when I walk by a person and don't share a witness, I believe that their soul is at my, at my, in, my, in my power. Not my power, I can't save them, but it's my power with my words that I can say something that can. I'm convicted. I'm convicted. It says to he who knows to do good and doesn't, it is. So what's your definition of doing good? I'm allowing my definition of doing good to extend the fact of me reaching more people with the truth. I need to, and it's so important for me. Now, there's, there was a whole lot more to it, but, but at one point, he says, I haven't read this guy. Have you ever heard this guy? Charles Spurgeon. Wow, he's something else. This, I mean, you guys ever heard Charles Spurgeon? You, you got to read Charles Spurgeon. <laughs> Just going, yeah, okay. Go for it, and and of course he's 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 doing all the way of the master stuff. He's 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 reading from from some of the way of the master uh, presentations on evangelism, and and it was it was amazing to listen to, and what was so refreshing, you know, I, I said on Twitter, I said, okay, so some of you. Your, your theology has, has been more consistent than Todd White's for a very, very long time. Um, but when was the last time you wept over the gospel and your own unworthiness, which he was doing? You know, sort of just to say, hey, um, there, there, were, there, there are a lot of churches where the gospel would not be presented with near the level of clarity that Todd White presented it in this presentation. Now, 
Consistency over time is the proof of the pudding. I get it. But I happen to know, and I'm not going to say why, I happen to know that there are a bunch of people reaching out right now um, to do whatever they can uh, to be of of assistance in this situation. I, I'm just waiting for the first crusty, self-righteous Calvinists to draw their Genevan robes around them uh, and and say, "Don't listen to him. Look at his hair, or something like that. Um, look look at the people he's hung out with in the past." So it's weird to be around people who say that God is sovereign over all things, but God can't God can't use that guy. Uh, he never he never would have let him do the things that he let him do uh, if, if he was ever ever going to use him type thing. Uh, so it was, um, I mean, listening to uh, Ray, listening to Ray Comfort coming out of Todd White's mouth, listening to Spurgeon quoting Spurgeon and stuff like that. Uh, I'm just like, hey, it's 2020. <laughs> I'll take, uh, I'll take wild and crazy things for 2020, um, and and it'll be the good things for 2020. I I I won't have any problem with that at all. So, uh, more power to them, and let's let's hope and pray it's uh, it continues right down, go in the right direction. Because hey, he's got the ears of a lot of folks. Of course, stay consistent with that kind of stuff and. A lot of those invitations dry up and things change, and yeah, yeah, that's that's the reality. Uh, that's that's how it works. But um, but for now, that was. Uh, I mean, I think more Calvinists listened to Todd White's sermon <laughs> last night than ever ever before. And we're all sitting there going, "Yeah," uh, but like I said. He himself is saying, this is all new to me. You know, he's, he's seeing how it all comes together. And hey, you know, this, you know, it's, it's one thing to talk about following Jesus, but when you actually listen to what he said, wow, it changes everything. It's like, ding, 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 there you go. Uh, it, was, um, it was great. So, uh, yeah, uh, be very, very thankful for, uh, for that. I think that's, uh, that's wonderful. Um, <laughs> I've I've seen posts, not that I follow him, but a lot of people will will post stuff from Timothy Isaiah Cho. Now, um, he I did not know I I looked at his stuff before, and I'm like, okay, CRT every place, uh, critical race theory, woke as woke can be. Um, so it didn't surprise me when I saw him in essence, defending the Black Lives Matter movement and their comments on the nuclear family. And of course, he does so in a uh, very scholarly way. Uh, but when I looked at his Twitter account, I discovered he's a Westminster Seminary, California. Westminster West. It used to be the, we used to call it Westminster West, but now it's WS Cal, Westminster Seminary, California graduate. And I, I made reference to this on Twitter, and I had one guy, a graduate, get all defensive. Well, we're not all like that. You shouldn't be. You, that could be misunderstood. And it's like, well, the point is, 
someone who says the things he does, for, for example, he presents just this amazingly... And when, when I listen to Union Theological Seminary professors twisting Scripture into an unrecognizable pretzel, I expect that. That's... The, I'm reminded of, of when I met John Dominic Crossan for our debate a number of years ago, and I had spent months and months and months listening to John Dominic Crossan. I had listened to his autobiography. I had listened to his books and his lectures. And, and of course, he didn't have any earthly idea who in the world I was. And he had no idea that there were people like me that actually existed. Uh, that's normally how my encounters with people to the left uh, go. Um, but we, we didn't have any problem talking with John Dominic Crossan because here was a guy who did not know we existed. It's not like he once knew and then abandoned that. That's one of the reasons I had a, I had a different relationship between myself and John Dominic Crossan than I had with Marcus Borg, because Marcus Borg was raised conservative. So here's a guy who knows our side and has rejected it. That's different than someone who didn't even know we existed or didn't know that anyone who believed the things we believed, you know, could link two sentences together in a logical fashion. Um, because they're, especially the people on the left, are told we can't, that we're all just just drooling Neanderthals, and that's why they don't even bother uh, to read our books or, or, or do things like that. And so when someone has a background that should allow them to see the obvious twisting of Scripture, that's the issue. And that's why I said, this guy's this guy's a, a graduate of Westminster. Um, but then he went to Berkeley. And look, you can graduate Westminster and go to Berkeley and actually come out Orthodox, but it's you better know what in the world you're doing, and you, you better know what challenges you're going to be facing. So when, well, for example, uh, f- just one quotation here, and unfortunately this is a huge uh, screen cap, so the font is like tiny. Uh, Further, evangelicals who know their Bibles should recognize the church is intentionally meant to be an extended family structure that disrupts the nuclear family as an independent, self-sufficient unit. Everything from the fact that Mary's pregnancy was side-by-side with her non-nuclear family member Elizabeth, to the fact that Jesus healed Peter's mother-in-law, to the fact that the early church stressed the structure of households, the idea that the church as a body is called a household and family of God, should make us see that the Christian faith stands crosswise with late Western ideals about family. And I'm just left going, what? What did you... Jesus healed Peter's mother-in-law. Um, you have to have some idea of what the family is to know what a mother-in-law is, right? What what does Mary and Elizabeth have to do with anything? What? Uh, you might as well argue the virgin birth was an argument against the nuclear family. I mean, this this is someone who has a biblical background and then uses that biblical background to create Hash. It's just, it's, it's a total mess. 
which, of course, is what happens when you try to make the Bible in any way amenable to critical race theory or any critical fill-in-the-blank theory. Um, you turn it into hash. And funny thing was, um, I saw an atheist respond to this thread and turn it into hash. Appropriately so. Recognizing the just wild inconsistency of a self-professed Christian to be stumbling along in, in this kind of a, of a presentation. Um, so that, that thread went all over the place. And like I said, I had one Westminster um, alum upset with me because, hey, you know, um, there you go. And I'm like, point is, he should know better. And um, then, interestingly enough, uh, I just in passing said, and I'm leaving the R2K stuff, the Radical Two Kingdom Theology stuff from Westminster on the side. And his response was, well, that is definitional of Westminster. And I was like, definitional? I would think that there would be somebody at, at the Escondido campus that does not hold to the Radical Two Kingdom uh, theology perspective. Uh, and his response was, well, yeah, yeah, there, there is freedom, to, but, but the majority do. I was like, oh, okay, whatever. So the same uh, Timothy Isaiah Cho then decided to flex his reformed muscles. Uh, I'm just going to bring this over here where I can see it. For reformed folk, so he calls himself reformed, our confessions and catechisms explicitly say that sins forbidden by the Sixth Commandment include, quote, the neglecting or withdrawing the lawful and necessary means of preservation of life, end quote. And the duties required of us include, quote, all careful studies and lawful endeavors to preserve the life of ourselves and others by resisting all thoughts and purposes, subduing all passions, and avoiding all occasions, temptations, and practices which tend to the unjust taking away of the life of any, end quote. Quoting from catechisms and commentaries and so on and so forth. Think about this in the anti-mask arguments. Isn't that necessarily neglecting the lawful preservation of life? So I just wanted to point out uh, in response, uh, I had a, um, someone posted very kindly a, uh, and again, this is, I'm getting, personally, I'm getting tired of the whole thing. I mean, other than the videos, which are just amazing to me, of the Karen cult uh, macing people, you know, spraying people in the face if they don't have a mask on, um, all the encounters. I mean, this poor lady with two little kids runs into this Karen in a grocery store who tells the lady and her two kids, and the two kids are not supposed to be masked in the first place, by the way, uh, but uh, tells them that the, 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 either they're going to die or they, she hopes they, they die uh, there in the, uh, in, in the grocery store. And I, I'm just so sick of all this stuff, and I wish I, I could not even see the people driving by with the masks on um, in their own car alone. <laughs> Because it freaks me out. It really does. Aside from the, the articles I've read of people passing out and plowing into things with because they've been wearing their mask all day and so they, they, they can't drive anymore. But all that stuff, I'm, I, am, I am so tired of uh, graphs, 
that we don't really know. Um, we have people. We have people uh, who are telling us that when they get their tests for the coronavirus, they are informed. And uh, this was the case with the documentation that was given to my wife. Uh, they are informed that a positive result does not necessarily mean that they have or have had COVID-19, but that there are other viruses, like the one that causes the common cold, that can provide a positive response. So, and then, of course, you have lots of people are saying, I got a positive response uh, that says I'm positive, but I didn't take the test. (laughs) Okay, that's, that's great. So, we don't seem to have a truly accurate test for that or the antibodies. And yet we're going into final phase testing of a vaccine. Anybody who claims to have current and hence not providing lots of money for uh, pharmaceutical companies, drugs that are effective in treating it are automatically shot out of a cannon into the next dimension. Um, Just boom. That should make anybody, I don't care how pro-mask you are or anything else, it should, it should make you go, hmm, I wonder why there's such a response like that. That's strange, isn't it? Yeah, it is strange, and there is a reason for it. It's painfully obvious, but you can't even mention it. Um, then this morning, I see an article about the growing evidence of the effectiveness of masks. And so I want to see this. I want to see this because I have been challenging people um, for a while now. Um, I have a certain set of URLs that I provide to people to uh, pre-COVID. Now, they came out in May, but if you know anything about publishing, if you know anything about journals, anything about scholarship... Um, articles published in a May edition of a scholarly journal were submitted the year before or at the very latest earlier that year, January, February, no later than that. Because it's got you know, it's just this is how it works. So I have two URLs to two different medical journals, large studies, um, peer reviewed. Nobody had any questions with this stuff when there wasn't any reason to have questions about it. In other words, when it wasn't politically expedient. I, I, one of the things I said on Twitter this morning was politics ruins medicine and science. And that's what we're experiencing right now. Because none of us knows what the actual numbers are. We, we can't. We can't. It's just not possible. No one knows. Oh, the government knows. No, I don't think so. I don't think so. Um, but these studies demonstrated uh, not only uh, one, of the, one of the studies specifically uh, compared true medical masks. Now, even those are almost all made in China, which is a real problem. It's a huge problem. The vast majority of you who are running around with those blue, look like surgical mask type things on, do you have any idea where they came from? 
Do you have any idea how sanitary they are? Have they passed any testing at all? It's amazing to me. These Karens are running around wearing these things. They've never even given a second thought as to what they might be breathing in, what they might actually contain themselves, or where they came from. But they know all the rest of us are, going to, are trying to kill them. It's scary. It really is scary. Um, but it uh, compared the N- N95 standard medical mask with cloth masks. And that's what everyone's wearing normally under their nose, <laughs> which, of course, in case you're not up on your mask stuff is um, to completely useless. Uh, and found that the cloth masks had a 97% virus uh, penetration rate and actually increased the number of infections in the control group with cloth masks over against no masks at all. In other words, they're bad for you. I have sent that URL to a number of people who were just going, well, well, you just need to love your neighbor, love your neighbor. Here, read these. These are before, these, these studies were done before politics could give you a reason to mess with the data. Never hear back from anybody. Never. I've got, I have not gotten a single response from anybody. Just like, oh, don't, don't bother me with the, with the, uh, with the, with the facts. Well, so I see this article that says, well, it's growing evidence. Ah, okay. So post COVID now, and the, and it even said because of COVID now we're doing these studies, blah, 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 blah. And so I'm like, okay, I want to see what these are. I don't trust them. It's it's post COVID. It's 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 politically influenced. But but let's let's see what the arguments are. It was the most vacuous. I mean, it, it was on literally on the level of a used car salesman trying to sell me that seventy six Coronado. Okay, that I can tell is rusted out, but they've painted over it. Um, but it was that it was that bad. It, it was it was laughably bad. But people were promoting it because. People want to believe. They, they want to believe this stuff. So, in this, uh, with Timothy Isaiah Cho's thing, think about this in the anti-mask arguments. So, okay, let's think about this in the anti-mask arguments. Let's, let's look at what the catechism says. Neglecting or withdrawing the lawful and necessary means of preservation of life which is to include all careful studies and lawful endeavors to preserve the life of ourselves and others by resisting all thoughts and purposes, subduing all passions and avoiding all occasions, temptations and practices, which tend to the unjust taking away of the life of any. Remember, this was written by people who were still experiencing the plague coming in and out of cities. None of more masks. Um, these were people who risked their lives to enter into cities. They would not have understood this application. What's more, of course, is the factual issue. The question, what do you do with the studies that do demonstrate a lowering of the standard of life of of certain individuals who should not be wearing masks? They're bad for them. The way that they're being worn increasing other diseases. Believe it or not, 
all other diseases were not wiped off the face of the planet in March of 2020. You would think that's the case watching the news, that the only thing left that has ever killed anybody is COVID-19. That's, that's, and I'm just waiting for the next thing to come along. What's going to be the new mutation? What's going to, what's going to be COVID-20? What's going to be COVID-21? Um, you've already got a huge portion of the population that's, that's just hiding in fear. So you have to keep stoking that fear over time. Um, but is, it a, is this a neglecting of the lawful preservation of life? Here's the conversation. So you're, you try to walk into Target to buy some milk. Or some um, apple cider vinegar. No, it's not straight up. Are you kidding? It would kill me. Um, <laughs> but it does clear the sinuses if you needed to. And um, here comes Karen. And um, Karen wants to know why you're not wearing a mask. And um, you say, well, you know, you're actually not supposed to ask that question. Uh, you know, a person might have a sound medical reason for not doing that, even though no one believes that anymore. The law still says it. Uh, the statements of all the mayors and governors said it only a few weeks ago. It was right there in all exceptions. Need to, th- th- these people need to be dealt with uh, properly. They need to be respected. There are people that can't do this. Now it's sort of like, no, the cult doesn't care anymore. Everybody has to. Um, so so you, are, uh, you are endangering me because I don't wear a mask to protect me. I wear a mask to protect you. You've heard that one, right? There's a lot of people that's not the case at all. Think about it. If you wear a mask to not protect yourself, why do you have it on your car? Why do you have it on alone in the woods? No, there are lots of people who think they're protecting themselves with a cloth mask, which the studies say have a 97% penetration rate by any virus at all. So, okay. So we go back to our conversation. So you don't care about me because you're not wearing a mask, and so you're endangering me. Um, And I go, well, wait a minute. Um, The mask doesn't stop the virus, which is much smaller than the holes in in the mask. Well, but it stops the larger particles of the moisture that comes from sneezing and, and coughing. I said, okay, so what if you're not sneezing or coughing? What good does a mask do if you're not sneezing or coughing? Well, you could have asymptomatic transmission. Okay, but if it's asymptomatic transmission, a mask's not going to stop it, right? Because you said it was the larger particles from sneezing and coughing, which are symptoms. So if you are asymptomatic, what does the mask do for either one of us again? They have no answers because there are no answers to that. It's just plain logic. It's just, it's just all the studies say the same thing. And this is why the medical people were saying what they were saying only a matter of weeks ago. Because they knew the same, they, they know this. That's why Fauci doesn't care if he has his mask down there. <laughs> he, he knows he's, he's, he's not going to be, he knows it. He's well aware of, of this reality. That if you're, if you're symptomatic, you shouldn't be out anyways. If you're coughing and sneezing all over everybody, that's a problem. That's why they said, if you're going to sneeze or cough, do what? Into your arm, right? 
because that's a symptom. But if you're asymptomatic, you're not expelling that stuff. That's not, there's not sufficient viral load. And so a mask does nothing other than hurts you and gives somebody else a false sense of security. So if you're, if you're symptomatic, you stay home. You don't cough on people. You don't sneeze on people. All right? So that type of a person should have a mask on. If they go out, they shouldn't be going out in the first place. We've all found out how to get stuff delivered these days. The whole cottage industry, half the unemployed people are now delivering stuff to the other half of people who still have a job. Uh, That's the only reason the economy hasn't just completely collapsed. But if you're asymptomatic, the the, the cloth face mask does nothing anyways. So what are we doing? We're demonstrating our submission to the government, which is then going to come along. And even if there is, and I don't, I'm, I'm not in hospitals. I can't tell you whether this Zithromax zinc hydroxychloroquine cocktail works. I have some hydroxychloroquine. How did I get that? I went to Zambia two years ago. And that's it's an anti-malarial drug. And so I was given a prescription uh, to go to Zambia. And I talked to my Zambian friends, and I talked to others who had been there, and they all said the same thing. It's going to make you feel horrible. It's going to rip your lungs out. Well, not your lungs out, your guts out. Um, you know, if you want to feel horrible the whole time you're there, then go ahead. But, and I chose not to take it, so I've still got it. Uh, but I chose not to take it. I didn't get malaria in the process. Uh, I think Vody told me that he had been given it when he first went to Zambia, and he has chose never. He's never taken it the whole time he's been there, and he's never gotten it. So there you go. I think most mosquitoes would be very, very frightened to try to bite Vody Balcom. <laughs> I think just oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah, just bounce right off, yeah, uh, explode. So anyway. I don't know if that works or not. All I know is if it does, there are already far too many powerful, powerful people far too invested in making sure this panic continues for it to ever be mentioned in a positive way by anybody. That's the sad thing. That's the sad thing. We, we may have effective drugs right now. I'm just absolutely convinced, looking at what's going on in our society, that there are, so, there are so many people that are so desperate to get one particular political result out of November that they're not only, they're willing to burn down cities, burn down court buildings. See, see there have been hundreds of black lives lost since Floyd. Hundreds by mainly black people. Because police are no longer on the streets. So they, they're willing to sacrifice black lives right, left, and center. Did y'all see that horrific video of the shooting in Chicago over the weekend, uh, right before the weekend? I mean, there were only three deaths in Chicago. There were only 58 shootings. Um, you know why? Because Trump sent feds in to Chicago. And they, the gang members admitted they were 
hanging back to see what that was going to mean before they go back to their normal bloodshed. Uh, but a horrific video of two guys, a woman and a baby, and two guys in a car come up and shoot, and all they hit's the woman. And it's her hobbling away to hide behind a car and cover her baby up, and she dies. And one of the guys comes running back, and the dude's got an Uzi. Okay, so this is gang-related. This is gangs. This is drugs. This was a high-definition video of just a street. Why do you think that was? Because they know it's a drug place. It's a, they're, they're, they're recording drug activity. Drugs and gangs. All black on black. There wasn't a white person to be seen anywhere. It was tragic. It was horrible to see that poor little baby staying there as they dragged the lifeless body of his or her mommy to throw it in a car to try to get to the hospital, but it was too late. Um, that kind of stuff, I trace straight back to the left saying, we are, we are taking control in 2020, and that's it. There will never be a contested election again. We'll pack the courts. We'll create a whole new voting class. Uh, we'll create a whole new way of voting that we'll always be able to control, and that's it. That's the end. We, we win, and the new America is here. No more having to worry about the Constitution and stuff like that. We have all power. That's what these people want. That's what they're going after, and one of the greatest tools they've ever had handed to them on a platter is COVID-19. Trash the economy. Let's make sure it stays that way right up to the time of the election. That's... You want to tell me that that's impossible? You know, when we first started, when it first started suggesting itself to me, everybody's like, oh, how's that tinfoil hat of yours? Now it's just so obvious, I'm having to go, where's your tinfoil hat? It's just, it's just so, it's staring you in the face. You, you literally have a candidate, one of the candidates, who is not with us any longer, mentally speaking. Which means we are, you're voting for who knows who. Who's going to control him? Who's going to provide the words for him to speak? You don't even, you don't even know. You don't even care. That's what's astonishing to me. That's what's astonishing to me. So anyway, in response to Timothy Isaiah Cho, um, I would argue that in point of fact, uh, I could make the reverse argumentation here. I think that the deleterious effects of not only the mask wearing and the deleterious effects that has upon the human body, but the deleterious effect upon our society of dehumanizing us. And the fact that that has allowed for a massive amount, massive amount. Look at the, look at the riots. What do they all have on? They don't care about a virus. They care about the video cameras. And now they're anonymous and they can get away with it. Look, Last November, if you went walking down the street looking for trouble wearing a mask, everybody notices you. Now you just look like everybody else. Hmm. Wonder what that's led to. <laughs> yeah, there you go. So anyway, hopefully pretty soon, because I am going to have to travel soon. And... Uh, hopefully soon, I've, a friend of mine's wife made him a mask out of this stuff. That honestly, it, well, it it does what the rule says. You got to have your nose and your mouth 
covered. This wouldn't slow down a dust particle is four inches wide. <laughs> okay? I mean, it looks like... It's not like you can just see straight through it, but it's sort of a gauze-type stuff. Does not impact your breathing at all. At all. So you look stupid like everybody else does. It's the, it's the bank robbers convention everywhere. But since we're stupid enough to do this kind of stuff, well... I'm just going to still be breathing by the time I get where I'm going. So that's, that's the important thing. So anyway, um, Timothy Isaiah Cho. There you go with a reformed uh, thing. Uh, one quick thing here that should not really surprise us at all, but um, Lions Defending Freedom uh, a couple weeks ago posted an article, and they've done some updating about a Florida State University student, a Roman Catholic student, who was um, a fellow by the name of Jack Denton, joined the FSU Flying High Circus. Um, through the circus, he learned how to perform a high-wire act. Well, I guess I got credit for taking a golf class in uh, college once, so and we didn't... <laughs> We literally went out into an open field without grass and whacked golf balls around. That was not really overly helpful. You did have to go and actually play, and I did. I, I think high high uh, high wire act is that's. Are you kidding? That is physical education. That's uh, that would you you guys got, got to have good balance and core and everything else there. Anyways, Jack assumed that performing a high-wire act was the most dangerous activity that he would engage in while at FSU. Unfortunately, Jack later learned that on today's college campus, there was an activity much more dangerous than performing a high-wire act, engaging in free speech. In 2019, Jack was elected Senate President of the Student Government Association. But he was only in that position for eight months before being removed. So what happened? Well, Jack privately shared the beliefs of the Catholic Church with other Catholic students. That's dangerous. And apparently, that is not allowed at Florida State. Alliance Defending Freedom is representing Jack to protect his right, da-da-da. So what happened is, in a private group chat from members of the Catholic Student Union, participants were discussing the police shooting that caused the death of Tony McDade. One student encouraged others to watch a video link to support organizations that were receiving ad revenue from the video. These organizations include BlackLivesMatter.com, Reclaim the Block, and the ACLU. This troubled Jack, and he responded, quote, The various funds on that list are fine causes as far as I know, but everyone should be aware of that. Those three organizations, quote, all advocate for things that are explicitly anti-Catholic, end quote. When asked to explain, Jack said that, quote, BlackLivesMatter.com defends transgenderism, which it does. That happens to be a fact. Remember the huge um, uh, Black Trans Lives Matter rally? Uh, that took place about a month ago in Chicago, and reclaimed the block, quote, protects abortion facilities and sues states that restrict abortion, end quote. The ACLU supports many positions inconsistent with the church's teaching as well. When some of Jack's fellow students took offense at his comments, demonstrating that they are still children, he wrote, if I stay silent while my brothers and sisters may be supporting an organization that promotes grave evils, I have sinned through my silence. I love you all, and I want us all to be aware of the truth, end quote. 
Should have been left at that, but instead, without Jack's knowledge or permission, one participant leaked the private chat to another student senator. That student senator took Jack's words out of context, claiming that Jack called LGDP, LGBT people grave evils. I can see how they would pull a stunt like that. And intend to hurt them emotionally and physically. Other senators said Jack's comments made them feel, ready? Unsafe. And that is the new religion of safism, once again. If you want to be the victim today, you make me feel unsafe. Once again, the complete redefinition of language. Complete redefinition of language. Because in any meaningful use of that phrase, you would say, you are threatening me physically. But that's not what it means anymore. Now you can simply claim to feel unsafe, which means you feel uncomfortable in the presence of ideas. Ideas. No culture can survive that kind of infantile self-centeredness. That's what three-year-olds do. And we now send three-year-olds to universities. And they run the universities. That's the scary part. So here's a Roman Catholic kid who goes, you know, the Roman Catholic Church teaches these things. And he's right. Amongst supposed to be fellow Roman Catholics. Unsafe. Unsafe. You must realize when people start accepting this idea that it is up to you to protect someone else's childish, immature feelings of safety, you're doomed. You can't do it. It's not possible. That's, not, that's, that's irrational. But that's where we are. That's where we are. That's where our university campuses are. Uh, there is, there is no, no freedom whatsoever. And, of course, we can't turn around and say to the other side, well, you make us feel unsafe. They don't care. That's fine, because you're fascist. <laughs> right, 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 right. Okay, now, uh, over the past two weeks or so, I've been having a conversation with... Well, I'll just go ahead and say, the, the, the fellow that put together the apologetics com, com, conversation, the one we had with the four people, and he contacted me and said, would you be, well, first, the first contact was, would you and another person debate Jeff Riddle in another person on the textual critical issue, critical text versus the TR position? And I said, well, no. I don't see a reason to have four people involved with that. I, I think especially especially on a topic like that, the more cooks you get in the kitchen, there, there's a danger in light of the fact that most people do not have a lot of background in manuscripts. You have to use technical language. You have to talk about certain kinds of variations and things like that. So I think, especially in that context, just having two people 
would be the way to go. And I said, no, I, I wouldn't be interested in having anybody else, but I would certainly be willing to engage um, Dr. Riddle on this subject. That's something we've talked about doing in the past. And then, of course, after the exchanges of papers and things back in um, late December, uh, well, middle of December, uh, all those guys just blocked me on Facebook and just disappeared from public view, basically. And there really hasn't been much that's gone on since then. And so this poor guy in the middle <laughs> has been going back and forth. And he comes back and says, oh, well, he's, he's fine with that. I'm like, okay. But he liked to, to do the longer ending of Mark as the text. Well, actually, I think the first thing was somewhere along the lines, I was like, I think it would be better to either do one text or maybe two or three texts at most, but let's, let's focus upon a particular text type thing. Um, I, I think that would help rather than being really general. But he came back with the long reigning of Mark, and I was like, well, why? And here's my reasoning. Here's my reasoning. You might say, well, isn't that a something you all would disagree on. Yes, but I could debate other people other than Dr. Riddle on the longer ending of Mark or the various endings of Mark because there are different people who have different reasons. A majority text advocates arguments for the longer ending of Mark. James Snap's ending arguments for the longer ending of Mark. Um... Maurice Robinson's arguments to the long-running mark, they're going to be different because they're defending different positions. If you're going to debate Jeffrey Riddle, who has made it very, very plain and clear, has not, does not shy away from talking about the providentially preserved text, the PPT, then why not debate the texts that are uniquely relevant to that claim. The long writing of Mark isn't. The Pericope Adultere isn't. First John 5, 7 is. Commiohanium would be. Revelation 16, 5 would be. Ephesians 3, 9 would be. Why? Because no one else will defend them. A majority text advocate will not defend the TR reading in any of those places. A Byzantine priority advocate will not defend the TR reading in any of those three places. Um, so only a TR-only advocate will defend the TR reading in Ephesians 3.9, Revelation 16.5, and the Kama Yohanim, 1 John 5.7. They're the only ones that will do it. That makes it an actual... Because what I was told is, well, this would be a debate between the critical theory and the TR-only position. Okay then we need to debate a topic that's actually between those two and those two only. What makes this even more relevant is that there shouldn't be any hesitation. Let me put it this way. My assertion is, if Dr. Riddle is consistent, he should have no more hesitation to defend the TR reading of Ephesians 3.9 than he does the long writing of Mark. The reason being, I mean, if he, if he wants to just simply say, well, I want to 
provide an internal critique of the critical text position. Well, okay. But the reality is that you're the reason you accept the reading in Ephesians 3 9. And if you're wondering what in the world that would be, um, where'd I put that thing? Oh, hmm. What would that be under? I'm sitting here looking at the open programs going, what would that, what would that have appeared under? And I don't, I had kept it up. I left it, I left it here. Oh, wait a minute. There it is. It's, uh, it's one of my, uh, it's one of my uh, Chrome tabs. There it is. There it is. Let me explain this from by reading a portion of the paper that I wrote about Ephesians 3.9 in response to Dr. Riddle, which I was told someone produced a response to, but no one ever sent it to me, or it wasn't uh, made publicly available. So I guess there's a secret response, but anyway. I mentioned the fact that the probable singular manuscript that is the origin of the TR reading has been identified. Manuscript 2817. It's a Katina manuscript. It's not a normal manuscript of just a running text manuscript, but a Katina manuscript where you've got sections rather than the whole thing. This is what I wrote. It is very useful that 2817 was identified, but let us make sure we remember something at this point. 2817 is irrelevant to the TR only position. The reading is not true because it's found in 2817. All textual data is, in the final analysis, irrelevant to this position. The TR is the PPT, Providentially Preserved Text, because it is the PPT. Period. History really has nothing to do with it. This can be clearly seen in the fact that if we were to take the time, and I said and I am tempted to do so, but have far more pressing projects, though I would encourage someone less committed to traveling and debating and preaching, this was before all that stopped, and speaking to invest the time, we could, in all probability, find some reading in 2817, depending on its total content, that differs from the TR. Will Dr. Riddle or Robert Trulove militate for a change in the TR to match 2817? Well, of course not. Since the argument begins with the TR, it will always end with the TR, since it is the PPT. The arguments for any one reading in the TR, textually speaking, do not have to be consistent with the arguments for any other reading in the TR. For one simple reason, the TR's establishment of the PPT is not based upon textual criticism, manuscripts, or history. It is a theological assertion based upon, in my opinion, horribly errant theological assumptions. So the identification of 2817 can provide cover, so to speak, but once you truly understand what is being promoted, it does not matter. Any reading of the TR is correct because any reading to TR is correct by definition. Dr. Riddle could have gone golfing rather than discussed 2817 with Elijah Hickson. The promotion of TR-onlyism is not relevant to textual critical arguments or sources. Hence, even when proponents engage in such arguments, inconsistently, I would argue, they can use argument X for text A and non-argument X for text B, an argument opposite of X for text C, and smile the whole time because consistency of textual critical argumentation is irrelevant to TR-onlyism. 
I have emphasized this reality for years and will continue to do so out of simple necessity. TR onlyism is an anti-apologetic. So what's strange is if we were to see what would what would be illustrated. Let's say we did uh, Ephesians three nine, the Kamiohanium, and Revelation sixteen five. These are pretty much unique readings of the TR. Now, this would allow Dr. Riddle to lay out his case for the supremacy of the TR as the PPT and illustrate it in three places where, in his opinion, the TR contains the apostolic reading, whereas the vast majority of all manuscripts known to mankind have lost it. I would think that would be something you'd want to promote. You'd want to be able to say, hey, look, if you didn't have the TR, you wouldn't have the proper readings in all these places. I, th- I would think that would be important, but here's the, here's the key. And I, I'm still hoping that this will happen. I'm certainly willing to do it. But the arguments, if if Dr. Riddle deigns to provide textual arguments, to, to mention manuscripts, to mention translations, to mention sources that Erasmus would have had or whatever, the arguments that will underlie Ephesians 3, 9, 1 John 5, 7, and Revelation 16, 5 will be completely contradictory to the others. Be completely contradictory. Because... It's the TR that determines the reading, not the manuscripts that were used to produce the TR. So, 2817, for Ephesians 3, uh, 3.9, doesn't really matter. Anything you find for Revelation 16.5 really doesn't matter. Revelation 14.1, we can could, we could throw that one in for the fun of it. The, the, the historical basis for the rise of the comma Johannium in 1 John 5.7. Coming from the Latin into the Greek. Um, that's not how the, the reading in Ephesians 3 9 did not originate in the Latin and come into the Greek. So you're going to have a different standard for Ephesians 3 9, a different standard for 1 John 5 7, a different standard for Revelation 16 5. And that to me would be extremely valuable because it would prove the fundamental point that I've made from the beginning. And I do not believe that the TR-only advocates have any way out of this. They've created their own trap here. It's their ultimate authority, and they really should just be very straightforward and say, it is simply our ultimate authority. We ground that upon a theological conclusion, upon the great things God did after the Reformation with the use of this text, however you want to ground it. And therefore, we will not engage in these discussions of, of textual issues because they aren't why we... They're, they, manuscript 28... Jeffrey Riddle did not know about Manuscript 2817 until half a year ago. So it's not why he believed Koinonia is the proper reading in Ephesians 3.9. That's not why. Now he knows 2817, but that's still not why he believes it. And we could find 
10 papyrus copies of Ephesians that date from the year 120 tomorrow that all say oikonomia, that say what all the other Greek manuscripts say, except for 2817. And it still wouldn't change anything to the TR-only position. It can't by definition. And so I would love to see that laid out plainly in online debate if that's fine for me. But I wanted to explain why it is if we're going to do the TR-only thing. Because, see, we can have conversations. There are books that exist. There's already an excellent book that exists giving uh, different views on the longer ending of Mark. So if you want to read different scholars... But you see, they're all textual critical scholars dealing with textual critical information who actually think that the readings of the manuscript should determine what your final text should be. That's not what TR-onlyism is. TR-onlyism is not a textual critical theory. It's a theological conclusion. And I think that needs to be fully understood by everyone who is being told that by embracing this, you're somehow going to obtain some level of um, certainty as to the nature of the text. And so, I am more than happy uh, to to do. I've still got my green screen, and uh, and I can I can maybe I could I could take a picture of uh, of my textual critical section and put that as the background for for that. I've got my green screen. And I've got my lights and uh, my my uh, lavalier microphone to plug into my into my computer, and I'm I'm ready to go. Uh, but and, and one other practical thing, Dr. Riddle and I wrote lengthy articles. I think I think this one here was 27 pages long, uh, and this was early December. So you're talking what eight months ago? So. I'm still up on this information, and I'm sure he is too. And so we're ready to go. But let's let's do the debate on something that actually defines our positions and 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 isn't isn't hiding the central aspects of what our claims are. I would like to be able to demonstrate that a reformed person should have the same viewpoints that the Reformed men who were involved in the King James translation had, which would include comparison of the Greek Septuagint, other languages, multiple manuscripts. They, they all accepted all of that, even if they were not doing a new critical edition of either the Hebrew Old Testament or Greek New Testament. They didn't have time to. King James wanted a translation, and he wanted it relatively quickly. You'd think seven, seven years doesn't set well back then. Yeah, we do things a lot faster now. Uh, you got to realize collating a whole new edition of the New Testament or Old Testament would have taken decades. So that just wasn't even a possibility. That's why they used already printed Greek New Testaments. Um, but I don't, I do not believe for a second that the translators of the King James Version would have accepted Jeffrey Riddle's theories. I don't, I don't believe it. Um, I know Erasmus didn't, by any stretch of the imagination. Um, but anyway, I think it'd be really useful. Um, I think it's important. 
does it end up changing the nature of the New Testament? I don't think it does. I don't think it does. But it's important in apologetics because these are issues that are being brought up by many of the people with whom we are speaking. So, so I wanted to mention that. I wanted to get around to that. Um, now, uh, on Thursday, I will put the time and stuff out there. I'll just go ahead and make the announcement. Uh, he's already said he's going to do it. So uh, on Thursday, I'm going to be uh, joined by a friend of mine, a brother in the Lord that I've gotten to know only over the past really number of weeks. We had communicated briefly, I think last year before the world went nuts. He had a video sort of go viral. Um, it was one of the many former Christian singer artists that had come out and said, I, I don't believe it anymore. I, I, I'm, I'm no longer a Christian. And he was interviewed, I think by CBN, if I recall correctly, about that issue. And he was just rock solid on what he had to say about the centrality of Scripture and the church and sound theology and all the rest of this stuff. And I think it was right around that time I, I reached out to him and we exchanged some emails and I mentioned some debates I had coming up and, and stuff like that. And so he started listening to the program and um, so make a long story short, we ended up getting in touch, started chatting on the phone, got to spend some time as I was driving down from Flagstaff a few weeks ago talking theology on the phone and and uh, and stuff like that. And so we've struck up a, a relationship, maybe talking about a little project together in the future and, and things like that. And I've just wanted to be an encouragement to someone who has a uh, a very different audience than I have and, and a very different way of reaching them. But we love theology and have a lot in common because we're brothers in the Lord. And so on Thursday, Lord willing, he's agreed to do it. He says it's a good week to do it. It's just a matter of making sure we you know, get all the schedules put together. But probably at this time, I would assume, um, on Thursday, I will be joined um, by John Cooper, the lead, still the, currently the only still remaining original member of Skillet. And you... Some of you have never heard Skillet before. Some of you have. Some of you have gone absolutely bonkers excited that I've said, yeah, I listen to Skillet, especially when I'm on the bike, because it's that'll keep your legs moving like nothing else will. Um, and then others are just like, oh, I just can't believe this. It's everything. It's just gone crazy and nuts about it. But um, anyways, John's going to join me, and we're going to get to talk about all sorts of stuff, but especially... Uh, Skillet's music for a number of years now has been focused upon not giving up and 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 I'll, I'll ask him the same question that I asked him on the phone um, about a month ago uh, there was one of, the, one of his songs was talking about you know faithfulness in the midst of trials and 
things like that. And I said, do you ever, do you ever write a song? And then stuff like what's happened over the past number of months happens, and you realize, man, if I'm going to have to sing this thing, I'm really going to have to believe it. <laughs> so you really have to, just, yeah, yeah, no kidding. Yeah, that's, 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 that's really the way it is. So we're going to have John Cooper on, and we're just going to have a good time uh, chatting and talking and introducing you. And introducing you, he actually called it my song, so I'm, I'm going to go with that. Uh, but he only did that because I like it so much. And it was just released uh, on a radio version last week from their most current album called Terrify the Dark. And we'll definitely be playing uh, Terrify the Dark for you. Uh, Look it up. It's on YouTube. And check the words out. Um, there's, uh, There's some deep theology behind uh, what's there, and especially right now, as we as we look toward a very challenging future, uh, Terrify the Dark, so sort of, a, I think, a good theme song along those lines. So, so check it out. So on Thursday, John Cooper will be joining us here on The Dividing Line, and uh, I'm go here and see if there's, you know, so, so far... <laughs> Oh, all right, all right. I I, I looked over. I, I made the mistake of looking over at Twitter, and um, uh, 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 oh, I'll I'll never find that file again. But anyways, so can you? <laughs> so Patrick Madrid uh, posted this with the with the title "Social Commentary." Uh, can you can you can you show that? Yeah, there you go. Yeah, I don't know about you, but I ain't wearing that. Um, though it'd be sort of funny to to wear that into a restaurant, and then take it off to eat, and then start going, mm, 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 and watch everybody just damn right out of. Well, only people old enough to have seen uh, seen Alien uh, would uh, would do that. But yeah. <laughs> thanks to Patrick Madrid for that one. That was that's that's great. Um, <laughs> What's that? Yeah, and then, yeah. Then watch it scurry away. Yeah, that would be that would be really really bad. Uh, nightmares for some of us. Uh, that yeah. oh man, that was that was scary stuff for us. But that was before CGI, man. You you had to yeah you had to make everything dark and scary for for stuff like that. But anyway, I don't know how I got distracted by that. I was just going. I was looking over to see if there was anyone who was uh, saying, well, you know, making any type of uh, well, look at that. Whoa, wait a minute. Don't 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 start the music. Tucker Carlson will interview John MacArthur tonight, five p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Excellent. The picture, yeah the the picture the picture of Tucker is a bad picture of Tucker, uh, but uh, Tucker Carlson is going to uh, uh, interview Johnny Mac, so that will be an opportunity. Pray that John will will get his. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, so I'm starting to see a few mentions here, but nothing uh, nothing about that. So anyway, so see you on Thursday. Thanks for listening to the program today. We'll see you next time. God bless.